morning. Good morning. Hey. I, I think she got it. She's a smart girl. <laughs> I think I just heard Ame. Yeah, good morning, Tyler. Good morning. Good morning, Messi. Morning, good morning, Ame. Morning. Hey, Tyler, I put that schedule in the, I put the startup founder in the schedule for Wednesday after your room with Messi and Elaine from the Good Morning Africa as well. It's a startup founder who's a female from Af the African continent and she's founded a social audio app cool. called the Wisdom App. And she was speaking super powerfully on Good Morning Africa and I really wanted to have her in here so that she could also speak to everyone else and messy. That's what I was also sharing with you in the back channel. I'd love to have you there. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Amy. Did you get to hear her speak in the other room, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I you know, as you know, probably uh, I am a commode in the oh. Good Morning Africa room. I'll be back in two minutes. Mm -hmm. She's, uh, she's actually doing really well. Um, I think she has written as well a book, so she's doing really amazing. It's also nice to show that there's women in the space that are doing things in, in different ways and they could inspire others, so yeah. Yep, especially women in Africa, right? Correct, no, exactly. <laughs> Even so though Florian, she's in the UK. <laughs> hopefully Florian will be able to pop in a bit. <laughs> Yes. Don't put him on the spot. <laughs> no, it's okay, but that was the best way as well because now Messi and Florian are best friends. But how are you, Messi, today? I'm, uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I think we're just watching uh, the developments. So, yeah, it's just um, having coffee and watching the news. It's... Um, Yep, it is. Um, it's it's not going, um, you know, going away. It's um, very very fluid. That's the U.S. embassy's word, not mine. So, yeah. So, but... Messi, are you allowed to own weapons like guns there? Allowed what? Guns. I mean, weapons oh, like guns. No, actually, they are doing right now uh, with the state of emergency that was declared about a couple of weeks ago. Um, they are confiscating actually weapons, and they are doing a house searches uh, to um, because I think um, there is also some believe. There are sympathizers in the city in Addis, within Addis, and um, government is trying to, um, like, you know, uh, round round them um, in the city. So they are doing a random search. Actually, a couple of my friends' houses have been searched. Um, so if you do have a gun, uh, it will be confiscated. You're not allowed. So, so do you have any kind of weapon to defend yourself in emergency? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, um, yes, um, the government has said that officially um, people should be vigilant and, and watch um, to, to be safe. Uh, but at the same time, they are also um, yeah, doing house search to confiscate uh, guns. It's, it's, it's not legal to own any kind of weapon in the house. So... Um, hopefully those things don't happen. So, um, it, yeah, yeah, hopefully. yeah, yeah. Take care, so, take care. How about taser? Can, can taser, can you have taser? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. know. I think you're, you sound, you know, the environment is very dangerous. 
it's I think if you get to that point, yeah, it's, it would be it would be not nice. But I think um, it's it's really quite peaceful, actually, in Addis. That's where I am in Addis Ababa, in the capital. And and I'm also very, very privileged person, you know, um, that my husband works in one of these international uh, organizations and, and we get to live in a compound that's protected by the UN. So it's like an embassy, sovereign territory. So we we really are in a very secured place um, and, and watching it. So, um, you know, we just follow what the embassies are giving advice to their citizens and, and that's what a lot of uh, people are doing and because also i'm um ethiopian origin but also foreign citizen so i'm a bit more you know different than um than the other ethiopians as well so it is um you know it's um it is it is quite nice and peaceful uh in addis and i'm sure the fighting is a little bit outside of the the city so um we just watch the news like everybody else outside right <laughs> and, and see what's happening okay well let's get into <clears throat> the news as you were saying where's the the air horn let's find out how safe the rest of us are here let's we go through the headlines my mic is okay yes it's okay yes there we go the first headline is from brian krebs and that's a name many of you might not be familiar with, but if you join us more regularly, you'll start to be more familiar with it. Brian Krebs does a a blog called Krebs on Security. He's a cybersecurity expert who covers news in cybersecurity. And when I see his uh, as the top story of the day, I know something strange is happening already without even reading the headline, just knowing it's from him. That's not good when a cybersecurity news is the top news, but it says the person claiming responsibility for the FBI email server hacks says they were able to send spam messages by abusing insecure code in the FBI's LEEP portal. And I understand that's a little bit of geek speak for everybody, uh, but thankfully CNN and others have covered it to translate that into more human English, and it says... Fake FBI emails about a sophisticated attack are part of an ongoing situation, agency says. The Washington Post says FBI email system compromised by hackers who sent fake cyber attack alert. Hackers hacker send spam to 100,000 people from FBI email addresses. And now Krebs is saying that the person who's claiming responsibility for this, um, they say they said how they were able to do it. So that, that's Brian's adding his extra two cents to the headlines. Because he's, you know, as a, as a cybersecurity expert, he doesn't care that it happened. He wants to know how they did it. <laughs> his audience is more interested in the details of how that happened. There's a related article that says FBI email servers were hacked to send spam warning of a sophisticated chain attack with a likely goal to discredit security researcher Vinnie Troya. The FBI email servers were hacked to distribute spam email impersonating FBI warnings. Okay. Maybe not as bad as it could otherwise have been. So 
The next one is from Forbes. It says some subscription app developers, you can think of Netflix and Spotify, you know, apps that charge a subscription. And some, some subscription app developers suspect that Apple is buying Google ads that send users to their apps in the app store to protect its cut by decreasing web signups. So what they're saying is um, Apple is secretly buying up Google ads for high value apps, collect potentially millions of dollars in subscription revenue. So let's, uh, this, I want to read the, this, this could get hot because this is precisely related to the whole Apple Google app store craziness and how they're charging app developers and how they don't want to stop charging developers. And now these subscription app makers believe Apple is playing some funny games. It says Apple is secretly buying Google ads. For high value apps, mm, high value apps would be, yeah, like Netflix, um, to collect potentially millions of dollars in subscription revenue, multiple app publishers have told me Apple is placing the ads without the app developer's consent. And Google won't delete them because Google's making the money too. Um, the cost, potentially millions of dollars of lost revenue for those app developers, plus high advertising costs for their own campaigns because now you're competing with somebody else for advertising for your own app. So let's just, let's say you're Netflix and you're trying to advertise people, hey, download Netflix directly from us. And so you can pay us the, the $20 a month or whatever it is directly to Netflix. And Apple is also advertising for Netflix, but they're sending people who click to Apple, where Apple gets a 30% cut. But the problem is now you're competing against Apple for your own customers. And it's so it charges, it's, it's an auction. So now you have to pay more in the auction for people to see you above Apple. So that if, if true, I, I don't, I suspect I, this is a weird one. I mean, they wouldn't assume this unless they've seen it in the wild. And there should be examples of this if it's actually happening. But if this is actually happening, and I think that's a big if, until I see evidence of it, uh, I guess technically there's nothing illegal about it, but that's just going to make Apple look really bad in the, in the courts and then from a government perspective. Although I know what Apple is going to say. It might be true because Apple likely will say, well, everyone does this to us all the time. Everyone's trying to sell iPhones at their stores. Everyone's trying to sell Apple watches at their stores. We're not the only ones selling Apple iPhones. Everyone's selling Apple iPhones and everyone's advertising for that. And we, when they sell it, we don't get the hundred percent. Yeah, but the difference, Tyler, is Apple decides it wants to sell cell phones in certain stores. Okay, doesn't have to, I guess, right? Right. Sure. So they're going to say you decided to sell it in the Apple App Store. Yeah, but if, if if Netflix doesn't want someone selling their product, I think they should be able to say no. 
It's right. Simple and that's right. Apple's going to say, you're welcome to leave the Apple App Store. A really interesting move. I mean, I don't think most, most people don't sign up for Netflix on an iPhone. They, they sign up, you know, through Netflix through however they get their high-speed internet, usually. Picking okay, an individual or, app isn't the issue because we're talking about millions of apps. No, no. So what, what I'm saying is initially, I mean, I'm, 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 let me ask you this question. Initially, most people sign up Netflix, at least in the United States, I know, right, through their cable DSL, you know, through, you know, some, you know, because it, it, it goes through your te television. Okay. And, when, and once you have an account and if you download the, the Netflix app, like you, well, let's say you want to watch something on a, on a mobile or iPad or whatever, uh, you already have the account. An app is an app even though you didn't Netflix, you signed up through your cable system. Like so, so the apps, the apps that they're talking about are uh, Tinder, Plenty of Fish, Bumble, and HBO. The next paragraph in the article. <clears throat> um, Media HBO education and learning publishers like Masterclass and language learning service Babbel. The ads don't disclose. Well, now they're being specific, so I guess they do have evidence. The ads don't disclose uh, that they are from Apple and would, to most observers, simply look like ads for the brands and app publishers themselves that happen to go right to the App Store. They do, however, have similar tracking links with near identical parameters that indicate one agency is likely placing all of them. Okay, so this is real, and it almost certainly is Apple. Apple is trying to maximize the money they're making by driving in-app purchases that people buy through their app store. One source who asked not to be named for fear of retaliation told me, Apple has figured out that they can make more money off these developers if they push people to the app store to push us there versus through the web, the open web, where the app developer would make all the money. Oh, and there are screenshots of the ads. I'm now looking at the ad. Cheryl, have you pinned this one? Yeah. It says um, HBO Max Stream Endless Entertainment. And they're right. Yeah, it looks like an ad for HBO Max. You would never know. There's no indication that this is anything other than you would go... You, you would assume, anyone would assume that HBO had placed this ad. In phone, or I'm sorry, iPhone apps that offer subscriptions to ongoing services can route payments through Apple, or if they have multiple means of delivering the service, can charge customers on their own websites. If apps take the default path and charge customers on Apple's platform, Apple takes a 30% cut of first year revenue and an ongoing 15% cut for every sub subsequent year. If businesses like Amazon or HBO sell an ongoing service on their own websites, however, they can bypass the Apple fee and collect all of the revenue. The obvious question, of course, is isn't Apple advertising your business a good thing? They're literally paying to find you more customers. Isn't more customers something you want? Wouldn't you want Apple to keep doing this and do even more of it? Perhaps surprisingly, according to multiple, multiple major 
mobile brands? The answer is no, it's hurting developers, businesses. One said, you're building your growth base on what you think a customer is worth. And if a customer is worth 30% less, your margin is gone. It, it, exactly right. Some subscriptions are worth hundreds of dollars a year. Those might be for training classes, education, fitness, or dating apps. Apple's cost to run an ad might be five to $10 for each successful signup. And the revenue can be easily $50 or more. The customer doesn't know, a source says, the user doesn't know that $54 is going to Apple, not the developer. There are additional costs as well beyond the dollars when people buy. Anyway, it gets into more detail, but yeah, I think, I think it is Apple. And I think Apple's, it's, it's obviously Apple. No, no one else in the right mind would do this because no one else can monetize the advertisement. No one else can get paid from, um, from selling, from people clicking on, you know, downloading HBO and, um, Apple's going to say everyone. Everyone's doing this to our products. And yes, we allow them to do it, but you're allowing us to do it too, because you're in our app store. So why can't we advertise that you're in our app store? Don't want it. If you don't want us to, well, you can leave our app store. And if, if we don't want AT&T selling iPhones, we can remove our products from AT&T too. So it's, uh, they're going to, I can already imagine they're going to use this as their kind of explanation for why they think it's, uh, we're in a position to do this. I mean, the tracking link is, you know, clear evidence. They can, they can figure out who is doing the advertising. Sure. Well, it, yes and no. I mean, it just, that it's going to Apple, I think tells you who's doing it, but, uh, yeah, they're, of course, yeah, they're likely having an agency doing it on their behalf and it doesn't say this ad placed by Apple anywhere like that, but. Okay, next one is uh, a May of all about the taproot Bitcoin change that's underfoot here. The an overview of Bitcoin's taproot upgrade, which makes transactions more private, less expensive, and will let Bitcoin users execute more complex smart contracts. Taproot, a highly anticipated upgrade to Bitcoin, went into effect Sunday, so in the past 12 hours or so. The first major upgrade to Bitcoin's code since the introduction of segregated witness in 2017 has now gone live. Yeah, Tyler, that's going to be an interesting conversation simply because of uh, also dovetailing in with Jack Dorsey and what he's doing with Twitter and Twitter spaces and how he's getting monitored, how he wants to have everyone be able to use that wallet that he's in the process of creating. So it'll be very interesting to see. Yeah. And also, I'm trying to see what I could do. My friend is actually in El Salvador. She just arrived. Uh, she just landed yesterday and already started. She took a picture of the Chivo wallet, the Chivo at the airport, the machine where you could get your Chivo wallet. So she's there at the, as a guest of uh, Nubele. So I was trying to see if I could get, if she could ask him or find a way to even get him to into Clubhouse, if that's even humanly possible. But not afraid to ask and see what we craziness we could create for the afternoon session per se. The new upgrade called Taproot introduces signatures that can make more complex transactions on Bitcoin, such as those from multi-signature wallets, look like just any other transaction, hence improving the privacy and security of the transactions. 
the switch to signatures also has implications for network scaling as the as the taproot upgrade swaps out the cryptographic framework. And there it is. Okay. Tyler, one of the yeah. things that's interesting about this upgrade that I would be curious, and I don't know if Ben's around, is the impact of something that I heard a lot of the Bitcoin the Bitcoin folks talk about as well, is that there's not a lot of sexiness when it comes to the development of Bitcoin smart contracts, taproot, whatever. There's not a lot of sexiness in the development of those smart contracts. I heard a few Bitcoiners actually say that that's part of one of the deficits of the space in the smart contract development, the way Ethereum has gone. You know, they've been in that space for quite some time. We're about six years going on seven, whereas <laughs> Bitcoin has been in that space, but it hasn't been. I'm going to use a word in air quotes. It hasn't been marketed well, you know, like it hasn't. I think you know what I'm trying to say, Tyler. It hasn't been presented so well that people have really wanted to jump on learning it. But in the context of smart contract uh, solidity. It's been something that's been more easily accepted. I don't know. You're a technology. You're in tech, so you know what I'm talking about. One one tech is a little bit easier to get and grab, and it's a little bit more sexier. Where the other tech is, is a bit. Uh, it works. It's a bit clunky still, but it's mm-hmm. not as sexy and it's not as widely pushed as you would say Ethereum is in terms mm-hmm. of its smart contracts. So maybe I- Taproot could solve that problem. I have a couple of comments, and they're going to sound a bit like maxi comments, but um, of course, I think the, it's okay. It's fine. I, I think the important thing for people to know about um, Bitcoin upgrades is that they're all soft forks, so um, versus most other coins, which are hard forks. And what that means is, if you hold Bitcoin and you sleep for twenty years, your Bitcoin is still going to be valid and compatible with the new system that's working twenty years from today. And with regard to smart contracts, I think over time, Bitcoin will slowly adopt features of other platforms. Is that Craig? <laughs> is that Craig? Yes, it is. Amy. Yeah, actually, hi. you absolutely 100% correct. And one of the things that you just said about adopting features of other platforms, there is already in the GitHub and in some of the research I've done, there is already a bridge being created from Ethereum to Bitcoin. It's being, it's been worked on. It's being worked on now about like six months plus, maybe even longer. I'm not sure the exact actual starting date, but there is the process of testing a bridge between Ethereum blockchain and Bitcoin, which is in some ways what you're saying with the soft fork is fantastic, <clears throat> but also on the smart contract side and the usability and interoperability it's coming the interoperability between blockchain the blockchain of bitcoin and the blockchain of ethereum it's coming it's coming it has to come because there are some things that bitcoin is the wealth builder or the wealth holder whereas other projects are everything else right so all those everything else will have to come and interact with where the future individuals may be holding their wealth, right? So where these companies like Michael Saylor are holding some wealth in Bitcoin, they still have to interact with business. So that may be the the potential future where those two blockchains are going to be able to talk to each other through a bridge. And I know for a fact that there is two projects that have been working on this for about six months plus now. So that is in works. And it would be very interesting when that comes forward. We'll get into the next one. 
agreements between Apple and some states in the United States to offer digital IDs inside of Apple wallets shows that the states are covering the costs of issuing the IDs. What is this? What it, where is the cost, though? And Apple approving marketing efforts. Apple requires states to maintain the systems. Oh, they're charging the states money to run this program. Requires states to maintain the system needed to issue the service credentials at taxpayer expense, according to contracts signed by four states. The agreement, obtained through public record requests from CNBC and other sources, mostly portrays Apple as having a high degree of control over the government agencies responsible for issuing identification cards. Apple has sole discretion for key aspects of the program. Apple's making U.S. states foot part of the bill and provide customer support for its plan to turn iPhones into digital ID cards, like driver's licenses and state IDs. According to confidential documents obtained by CNBC, the company requires states to maintain the system needed to issue the credentials, hire project managers to respond to Apple inquiries, prominently market the new feature, and push for its adoption with other government agencies, all at taxpayer expense according to contracts signed by four states. Hmm. It says Apple uh, announced in June that its users could soon store state ID, state-issued identification cards in the iPhone's wallet app, billing it as a more secure and convenient way for customers to provide credentials in a variety of in-person and remote settings. The feature when combined with Apple's biometric security measures like Face ID, could cut down on fraud. But the move has brought questions from industry observers about why local authorities are ceding control of citizens' identities to a $2.4 trillion private corporation. Beyond that, the integration of identity into powerful mobile devices has drawn concern from privacy experts about the risk of dystopian, dystopian scenarios involving surveillance. The contracts between Apple and states, including Georgia, Arizona, Kentucky, and Oklahoma, provide a rare glimpse into the dealings of the powerful company. Apple is known for its obsession with secrecy. It typically forces potential partners to sign non-disclosure agreements to prevent its documents from spilling into public view. Page memo of agreement, MOA as we call them, uh, obtained through public record requests from CNBC and other sources, mostly portrays Apple as having a high degree of control over the government agencies. Georgia and Arizona will be the first states to offer driver's licenses in the uh, Apple Wallet app, but have yet to launch their programs. While the contracts obtained were virtually identical across states, CNBC did not review agreements for Connecticut, Iowa, Maryland, or Utah, the four other states that have signed for, signed up to be part of Apple's digital ID program. Apple has sole discretion for key aspects of the program, including what types of devices will be compatible with the digital IDs. Oh, that's crazy. That's really crazy. Is it ex 
exclusively? Because if so, that's that's really crazy. How states are required to report on the performance of the effort and when the program is launched, according to the documents, Apple even gets to review and approve the marketing that states are required to do. The dynamic is similar to the way Apple typically deals with vendors through though, although instead of getting paid by Apple, the states have to shoulder the financial burden of administrating the programs. It's like a vendor relationship, which makes no sense because it's the states that have the monopoly on what they're giving to Apple. Yeah, exactly right. Presumably negotiate a much more equal contract. Yep. I, I would imagine Apple would be happy to do this without being paid to do this. I don't know of any other example where government-owned systems and identity credentials were made available for commercial purposes in this manner. Apple declined to comment, and of course, along with the digitization of industries from finance to entertainment, there is a push around the world to create more digital ID systems. But efforts in countries including Singapore, France, Germany, and China are implemented at the national level, national level rather than through private companies, according to a professor at John Hopkins. Apple's able to dictate which devices can play with this ID. That means it's only going to be Apple-ish devices, not Android-ish devices, the way that I read that. And I can't imagine that that would be the case. Why wouldn't the states want a Google Wallet ID, which ostensibly in Oklahoma, the vast majority of the citizens are not on iPhones, they're on Android phones. So uh-huh, that, that gets really strange very quickly. I was thinking um, if that is indeed the case that, you know, it could be exclusive, but for a limited period of time, kind of like when the iPhone first launched, I think it in the States, it might've launched on Verizon exclusively or some operator, but it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense that states who are monopolies um, and, and own these ID systems would, um, you know, mm-hmm. use taxpayer money to, because in the end, this is going to help Apple sell more iPhones. A company called Pigment, a business planning and forecasting service that integrates data from many platforms, including Snowflake and Salesforce, raises $73 million. Bloomberg has a look at the brewing rivalry between Meta and Apple over VR and AR headsets, smartwatches, smart home devices, and digital services. Yep, we've been talking about that almost every day for months. And New York Times article says that Apple and Spotify and other companies that distribute podcasts have done little to reign in COVID-19 misinformation. Jesus. Escaping the scrutiny social media giants face. Oh, New York Times only we start holding you accountable for your misinformation what new york times what have you been doing to deal with your misinformation let's focus on that shall we so they're bemoaning the fact that podcasters have this thing called freedom of speech and that of course it uh, gets into all kinds of issues and um it says false statements about vaccines have spread on the wild west of media um, yeah, well, false statements about Facebook are spreading every day on the New York Times. So 
New York Times, you are no longer in a position to question the validity of content on any platform. You threw that in the dumpster, that, that thing that you worked, you know, more than a century to earn the right to do, you, you completely tossed into the ocean like a used water bottle. False statements about vaccines? Sure. Yeah, no doubt. There's lots of podcasts with lots of false statements about vaccines. You've got lots of false statements about Facebook in, the, in recent days on an almost daily basis. Anywho, they're calling it the Wild West of Media Podcasting. Yeah, well, it's going to take you over. Even as some hosts die of virus complications. Okay, there you might have a point, actually. And that's, uh, that, that can make the article very interesting. It says, uh, on a recent episode of his podcast, Rick Wiles, a pastor and self-described citizen reporter, quote-unquote citizen reporter, um... Yeah, you know, because he didn't go to uh, Columbia for journalism school like everyone at the New York Times. So how dare he have an opinion about anything? Endorsed a conspiracy theory that COVID-19 vaccines were the product of a global coup d'etat by the most evil cabal of people in the history of mankind, quote unquote. It's that hatches into a synthetic parasite and grows inside your body, says Mr. Wiles. This is like a sci-fi nightmare and it's happening in front of us. Mr. Wiles belongs to a group of hosts who have made false or misleading statements about COVID-19 and effective treatments for it. Like many of them, he has access to much of his listening audience because his show appears on a platform provided by a large media corporation. Well, yeah, now you're promoting him. The Mr. Wiles podcast is available through iHeartMedia, an audio company based in San Antonio, and says it reaches 9 out of 10 Americans each month. No way. 90% of Americans? There's no way a podcast is reaching 90% of Americans. Um, Spotify and Apple are, are other major companies that provide significant audio platforms for hosts who have shared similar views with their listeners about COVID-19 and vaccination efforts or have had guests on their shows who promote such notions. Studies have shown that vaccines will protect people, blah, blah, blah. There's no real, there's really no curb on it, says an associate professor of media and communications at University of Maryland, Baltimore. There's no real mechanism to push back other than advertisers boycotting and corporate executives saying we need a culture change. Audio industry executives appear less likely than their counterparts in social media to try to check dangerous speech. Right. They don't have to be... <laughs> Uh, unlike the New York Times, there's no expectation that podcasters are correct in anything they're saying. Just like it, it, there's a barely any different than it's like saying, hey, uh, hey, Greyhound, the Greyhound bus company is not checking what people are saying at the Greyhound bus depot. How dare you let people talk on Amtrak, the Amtrak train? Hey, Amtrak, you've got people saying stuff. In the food train cart, that's you really should check these people. You you know you really should silence what these people are saying over here near the hey subway sandwiches. You've got people sitting in your sandwich shop talking all kinds of crazy trash. As a matter of fact, I went to a bar recently. Hey Hooters, 
by the way, Hooters, I was at a Hooters restaurant and there was people talking at table five about some really unsavory things. I, I really think you should moderate what they're saying over there. How, how there's no expectation that podcasters are going to be saying the truth. This is not, you know, they're not pretending to be the Wall Street Journal. Bob's Bob's Daily Podcast. Hey, I'm Bob. Bob's not saying he went to Columbia School of Journalism. Bob is very admittant, you know, that he didn't graduate fourth grade. So what are you going on about, New York Times? What your your turn this is this is turning into, you know, uh Governments in history have cracked down on, you know, speech they don't like. New York Times, is this your new role in life? This is starting to, you, you know, this is, you're going after podcasters? You're going after the, the podcasting companies because you don't like some of the content that some of these, now, if it's, if their beef is limited to, COVID misinformation, there's still tons of debate on, I mean, I'm, I'm pro, uh, I got vaccinated, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to come down on an anti-vax front, um, but I don't know that I want policing of podcasts. I think it's people, it's a buyer beware market. And, and I like the idea that people aren't that, that it is uh, very loosely moderated, that people for the most part are able to say whatever they want. And if people are abusing that, then indeed they will lose listeners and they'll lose their sponsors and everything else. So scientific studies have shown vaccines, they go into to prove that vaccines work and thus uh, people shouldn't be allowed to question them in their podcasts. And asked about his false statements concerning COVID-19 vaccines, Mr. Wiles described pandemic mitigation efforts as global communism. If the needle Nazis win, freedom is over for generations, maybe forever, he said in an email. The, the re needle Nazis, I, that was worth the price of admission right there. That What a funny phrase that is. Um, the reach of radio shows and podcasts is great, especially among young people. A recent survey from the National Research Group a consulting firm found that 60% of listeners under 40 get their news primarily through audio. Right. Meaning not from the New York Times. And now you know why they're worried. I wager this has very little to do with anything other than the New York Times realizing they're losing their role in society to podcasters. And they're upset hey, hey, Tyler, I took a look at that article. So just to, as, as a point of clarification... What, what they mean when they say the 90% is 90% of Americans have access to iHeartMedia, which includes okay. radio stations. So it doesn't mean that they're actually listening to any podcast. It's just no. that they, they can access it if they want. It's available because okay, they've got right. a radio. Yeah. People, so my suspicion at this point is, I'm only halfway through the article, is that New York Times folks, you know, uh, spent a lot of money um, learning the art of journalism at journalism schools and uh, podcasters have not. 
and people are turning away from the New York Times and going to podcasts, according, especially young people. A recent survey from National Research Group found that 60% of listeners under 40 get their news primarily through audio. So that's the future. What used to be future New York Times users are no longer going to be, and they know that. So people develop really close relationships with podcasts, says a senior research fellow at Columbia University. Um, it's a parasocial medium. There's something about voice that humans really relate to. Yeah. Mark Bernier, a talk radio host in Daytona, Florida, whose show is available for download or streaming on iHeart's and Apple's digital platforms, was among the talk radio hosts who died of COVID-19 complications after expressing anti-vaccination views on their programs. The deaths made national news and set off a cascade of commentary on social media. What drew less attention was the industry that helped give them an audience. Is there, is there something other than COVID that they're concerned about? Or did they not find a single example of racism that they would, the New York Times would obviously point to if they found any? Or is this purely a COVID issue? Them bringing up any other points other than COVID. I guess it's because that's the only one that's, they're trying to pass laws about um, not having, not being able, but the laws, yeah, they're towards the platforms, but specifically social media platforms who do moderation. Here's where it gets problematic is the as soon as you start doing moderation, you start a slippery slope. And what are you going to do? Are you going to delete singular episodes or do you delete the whole podcast? Do you ban the podcaster? What kind of system do you set up? Do you delete the one minute where they talked about one minute out of a 30 minute episode that they found egregious? Do they ban the episode or do they ban the whole podcast? Do they give them a warning? You, you see how this, now you've got moderators moderating speech on platforms on in podcasting. Anyone with any thoughts on how to police speech on in podcasts? And is there any expectation that people in podcasts or Clubhouse, New York, hey, New York Times, there's people saying anti-vax things in Clubhouse. Do, 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 this breaking. Do, 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 do. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, there's people that have views that you don't like in life. Oh, um... Interesting article, but the thing that's interesting about it is that they're writing it. It's it's uh, Spotify and other companies that distribute podcasts have done little to rein in COVID nineteen information. Yeah, it, admittedly, they don't want to rein in, in. They don't want to you know get into the game of moderating content that you can't even do much by searching. You you're going to force people to. It's a little bit easier to do it if it's in text because you can search tech you're going to force moderators to listen to every minute of every podcast you know how, do you have any idea how many podcasts there are can it just be transcribed could do transcription 
I don't think they have any legal um, responsibility to transcribe it. How about this? How about every time you sign up for a podcast, uh, you click a button that says, uh, I understand that this could be complete and utter bullshit nonsense. save it but i think we're doing that anyways i don't think anyone's listening to anything on podcasts assuming that it's god's truth so jeff jarvis who is one of the figures who has a foot squarely in land and um journalism um he's a professor at cuny and and has been in this game for a very long time. Um, so Jeff Jarvis says, the New York Times discovers that there's media disinformation ecosystem beyond social media. It has been there all along. At its center is the Fox Murdoch, is Fox Murdoch on podcasts and radio misleading COVID-19 talks go unchecked. And uh, Dave Weiner says, I can't wait to read an article in the New York Times about how the New York Times spreads misinformation because they do. Exactly right. And for those who don't know, uh, Dave Weiner is the creator of RSS, which enabled podcasts to start. There would be no podcasts without Dave Weiner. The guy literally wrote the code. And... I'm going to retweet his tweet out. Here it is. I can't wait to read an article in the New York Times about how the New York Times spreads misinformation. Exactly as I said before we even started the article. They were doing it last week. Repeatedly. So you are no, you used to be in a position to write articles like this, New York Times. You no longer are. And that's why people are getting their information from podcasts. Next one's from the Washington Post. Internal documents show that Facebook, oh, here we go again. Oh boy, they just keep squeezing this rag for every drop they can. Internal, the internal documents from Facebook. That, so this, oh, <laughs> the endless lemon that they squeeze on this one. Internal documents show Facebook defends algorithmic ranking because its data suggests that its algorithm knows what users want better than they do themselves. Yeah, Washington Post, you're embarrassing yourself, Grandpa, come on. This is like listening to your racist grandpa at this point, Washington Post, what are you doing? Any, any geek who knows anything about tech, who knows any, who's ever worked at a startup that does anything about algorithms, in, in fact, this is incredibly simple. This is so incredibly obvious. Come on, Grandpa. This is why Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and Instagram don't do chronological feeds with you anymore. It used to be, and by the way, it's the same reason Clubhouse doesn't list every room in all of Clubhouse in your hallway. You don't read Farsi. You don't speak Japanese. You don't want that. You really don't want that. You really don't want to see all the thousands of Indian rooms happening in Clubhouse right now in your hallway unless you speak Indian or U Urdu 
or passion or what, you know, you don't want that. You want an algorithm for your social network. And so, of course, Facebook knows for a fact, not just Facebook. So the, the fact that you're trying to pin this on Facebook makes you look stupid, Grandpa. All the tech platforms know. And it's not even close. Anyone with half a brain knows that the algorithms, the algorithmic ranking improves the user experience, that users actually prefer it. They have the option to turn it off incredibly easily, especially in Twitter. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a star. If you touch that star, it goes back to reverse chronological sorting order with no just pure, pure you know, chronological stream without the algorithm. And then people rarely stay there. They know this. They've known this for years. It's not even close. So for you to share an internal document shows that Facebook defends algorithmic ranking because its data suggests that algorithms know what users want better than they do themselves. Come on, Washington Post. But Tyler, Tyler, honestly, um, those things really are sometimes um, they amplify things that doesn't need to be amplified. That's not I the point. Please don't take the point in that direction. The point is that Facebook believes that they know better than you. They're trying to make the argument that Facebook thinks has says they're defending the fact that they use these algorithms because they believe they know better than you what users want to watch. And the fact is they do. They absolutely do. And not just Facebook. All the social media platforms know that users prefer algorithmic feeds and TikTok most of all. That's why TikTok is winning. TikTok's winning because they share with you the best content when you're scrolling through TikTok that you're most likely to like. Same with Spotify. Do you want to try and find all the good content in Spotify? You want to try and find all of the best content in TikTok and go swipe through a thousand videos before you find a good one? They already can send you the ones that you like. Facebook's the same. But not, Twitter's the same. But so, I don't think I don't think that they the know better than what I want. I don't think the algorithm knows better than what I want. That that's the issue. Well, you can believe that. that. You you can believe what, that no, but, as yourself as a person, but, but, but as a as no, a group somebody, of people, if they if if it I turned know. out if people did know better than what they want, they wouldn't offer the algorithms, Messi. No, but what I'm trying to say to you is that just because I'm, for example, it asked me when I'm doing some setup that I say that I'm Ethiopian, I'm interested in this and that. Sometimes they send some a lot of uh, things that I don't want to even see. So I don't think they know. Um, it's not only that. I know a friend, for example, in the U.S., that, that she did say that she's a Republican, she's this and that. And all of a sudden, they were sending her a lot of QAnon things, a lot of uh, information, and she doesn't filter. So she reads it, and then she got into that rabbit hole because she read it, and now they give her more of that, more of that, because now the algorithm thinks that's what she likes. But I think she just got curious, and then because she said she was a Republican or, or something else, um, and then she just got, before she knows it, she, she, she got into all that. And then now 
now it's even difficult to have a conversation with her and she was a really good friend of ours because now like she's talking about like you know your first coming somewhere or something else doing something else I'm just trying to tell you that sometimes the algorithm, because you read some article or you click on some article, they keep on sending you more and more of that. And a lot of people are just curious or it comes in, they don't turn it off. And before you know it, it gets to the worst situations. So I'm just saying that not algorithms necessarily know what everybody wants better. So. I, 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 I don't buy into all that. Yes, maybe some of the, ar the articles, but I think it's confirming who I am. And, and for me, like, for example, I read some articles and I get them all the time because that's what they think I want. And I can't even learn about somebody else. I, my brain even doesn't need to diversify. It's not, it's not true. Not everybody wants that. Messy. And not everybody if you, turns it If it's off. showing you content you don't want, it's going to learn that you don't want that content. It's not finished. It's constantly optimizing and learning based on every click and action you take. I think I think you both have points. I think the the algorithms are based on data from user behavior. And humans if you think about a food analogy, we might want carbohydrates, we might want sugar, we might want to put bad form substance, substances into our bodies. But that doesn't mean it's good for us. And when it comes to content, I mean, the one thing about these algorithms, we don't get a wide variety um, of, of news that we might be interested in, but we haven't thought about. It's all sort of leading us down the same rabbit holes. That's exactly my entire point that, that see, why, it really that's, is. If that's true, why does, why does nobody use the chronological feeds in Facebook or Twitter? What, like I said, not everybody does those things. It's everybody is not Tyler. Everybody is not messy or something. So when right. they feed me so, something, so let's just go with the I data. Get... Messy. Ninety nine point nine 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 out of three point five billion people, three point four billion people do not use what you say they use. Yeah, but Tyler, that's that's kind of spam, isn't it? It's too much. So it doesn't matter. There needs to be curation. I'm talking, we're arguing this. We're arguing about numbers and facts and data. They. This is just facts. Yeah, but the other system was better. They would use it. Right. No, but it, it, it. This is exactly what we are saying, Tyler. We're not really much of a different thing that we are saying. Yes, data is going to show that because I think. Like I said, you know, sometimes if you read one article, it just kinds of thinks that, oh, oh, that's who she is, that's what she wants. And then he's, it sends me, and now I'm like, okay, curious, I click on it, and then it repeats. So all of a the sudden, they have the data that they are doing the right thing. I'm saying that a lot of people don't even have that time. A majority of the people don't. So when they get some article, they just click on it, they read on it, and then they say, oh my God, it is true. And and then tomorrow they get even worse article and yes. then, oh, yes. I see what and, you're and saying. all I of a the sudden they are in that circle. Right. So it's, yes, it's you're a exactly right. Stupid. It's a circle. You're, yes. What's going to happen is if you're a stupid person and you click on stupid things, they're going to send you even stupider things. 
and you're going to go down into a downward spiral of stupidity. Yes, that happens. Absolutely. If you're a really smart person and you click on really smart articles about Nobel Prize winners and all that shit, you're going to have an upward spiral of success. That's what happens. Yes, right, exactly. Right. The, the platforms are and these algorithms basically to yeah. really overly simplify it are uh, yeah. magnifiers, multipliers of behavior. That's exactly the whole point, right? Yeah, if you look at if you look at Apple, that they became but, successful but, because but, they but made it so simple. But and, and stupid people, people like stupid it. stuff, and smart people like well, smart but, stuff. <laughs> but it's not only that, uh, Tyler. It is because a lot of people, especially uh, uh, people who don't have the resources, who don't go to school, who work two three jobs. They just come in and then they click on something and they think it's true because they don't even invest the time like you and me um, or anybody else who, who have the time or, or, or the inclination to, to be able to, you know, assess things. For them, they are quite busy. They have been working two, three jobs. They are tired. They eat dinner and then they are like, OK, let me see the news. Whatever that might be, they, they, they look at it and they think that's true and then they move on. They have kids to put into bed and the majority of people are like that i've seen it in our families i've seen a lot of people and and it's surprisingly you will get the data that you are talking about they don't know the data is from smart people who are doing a smart things and then they get you know data with that smart ideas or people who are quite busy in doing things and then getting fed the same worse and worse things data is saying that oh we're doing the right thing because they think that they're feeding them what works. But what I'm saying is a lot of people don't have time. They just click on something and then they say, oh, wow, I'm telling you, a very smart person I thought in our family during COVID, she sent us article that says, uh, you know, uh, this, this medicine wasn't this, voucher wasn't that. I read it from a doctor. She didn't even take the time to see that the doctor was uh, uh, actually a doctor of a uh, veterinarian. And he that's wasn't a, 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 that's a, not a the medical doctor. That, that has not very so, little to do with this article. No, but I'm saying she gets fed into that because she didn't yeah. even discern what it was. So, so she gets right. more and more and more. So she gets into that circle. So the, 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 the article, the data will be reinforcing it because they think that they are giving her good data because she's reading it. That's all I'm trying to say. So here from the article, it says, in at least two experiments over the years, Facebook has explored what happens when it turns off its conversational newsfeed ranking system, the software that decides for each user which post they'll see and in what order internal documents show. That leaves users to see all the posts from all of, the, all of their friends in a simple chronological order. Both tests appear to have taught Facebook's researchers the same lessons. Users are better off with Facebook software calling the shots. The internal research documents, some previously unreported, help to explain why Facebook seems so wedded to its automated ranking system, known as the newsfeed algorithm. The system is under intense public scrutiny because uh, the U.S. is asking them, they're, they're writing legislation now that would require them to make that uh, Un, you know, un, non-algorithmic feed, uh, like the default and much more prevalent. But Facebook has done the studies, Messi, as the, the Washington Post, as much as they hate Facebook, 
you just heard them admit they've seen the documents that Facebook itself has done studies with users multiple times to see what happens when they turn off their algorithms. And what happens is people don't stay on the app very long. And when they turn on the algorithm, people stay on the app longer. That's what we're debating. What we're debating is not the quality of the content. The issue is Facebook doesn't care about the quality of the content. Facebook only cares that you stay using the app. And if when they turn on the algorithm, people stay on the app longer. That's the debate. That's this the is topic. this is the crux of the issue here. I mean, if Correct. you think about if you think about um, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, TV broadcast news back in the days, it was for a set period of time, let's say 30 minutes or an hour. And um, it's the producers of that program that curate the content that are supposed to give you a wide range of views and news um, that are supposed to be important. And now the Facebook algorithm or TikTok, it's all about burning your time. The Unless there's some tweets of Jeff Jarvis is back at it again. It says for years they is this they're they're talking about a separate article. Yeah. So Jeff Jarvis and Dave Weiner are talking about this article as well. It says for years Dave Weiner has been begging newspapers to provide a river of news, that is, a feed of news, without the ranking of editors. Oh, snap. Oh, Washington Post. Why do you keep arranging your content on the front page and the second page? My, and then why not just give me all of the articles that you write in chronological order? Why do you keep doing an algorithm and prioritizing the content in your newspaper and on your website? Because that's what people want. You're, if I asked you that, you're going to say, well, because we know. People actually want this article more than this story about this cat in a tree. They want to know about, you know, this new COVID cure. So we're putting that as the top story. Or, you know, Joe Biden just had a, an affair with an intern. We're putting that as the top story. Well, why? Why are you doing that? Stop doing that. You're, can, you are in precisely the same boat as Facebook. You could make your website a, a chronological feed of all of your stories, of all the content you've produced, but you don't even offer that. Facebook does. Twitter does. And they've tested it, unlike you. You never tested if that, you've never even built it to even do that test to find out which one people want. And now you're asking Facebook or Twitter, you know, oh, here's why aren't you doing that? Well, why aren't you even building the option that they've already built? You're more guilty of what you're accusing them of than they are, again, as usual. It ends with these clowns. It's unbelievable. The next one is a South Korean startup called R-Square, which uses commercial building data to find business office space, raises $72 million. IBM debuts a 127-qubit Eagle Quantum processor coming to select members in the IBM Quantum Network in December. That's huge. That's a huge quantum processor, 127. 
like the record was like 62 like a few months ago IBM announced a new 127 qubit processor uh, <clears throat> the news announced at IBM quantum summit highlights IBM hardware quantum computing is a hot market Eagle represents a big step forward scaling quantum computing and is the company's first processor to contain more than 100 qubits, says Bob Sutter, vice president of AI, blockchain, and quantum solutions at IBM. Eagle is a punctuation point where we are and that everything is on track. IBM roughly has 50 quantum solutions, blah, blah, blah. Very cool. Well, here, here comes quantum in a big way. Now there's scaling this shit out. Bloomberg says they have sources that Huawei is planning to license its smartphone design to third parties to bypass U.S. sanctions and gain access to critical components. <laughs> oh boy, it never ends. So Huawei is banned from accessing the parts it needs. For example, Huawei phones in China don't have 5G chips. To, so even though the Huawei builds all the 5G towers to send out the 5G signal, Huawei smartphones in China can't even receive its own signal because they can't get the chips uh, from the U.S. because the U.S. company who would normally provide those is sanctioned from selling those chips to Huawei. Similarly, Google is not able to offer the regular Android operating system or the Apple or the Google Play Store to Huawei phones. So they had to make the Harmony operating system in the Harmony's app store, etc. And now Huawei is, they made a, a sister brand called uh, Honor. And then the U.S. realized what they were, you know, trying to do a rebrand and banned this, you know, repackaging, rebranding called Honor. And now... Huawei's planning to license its smartphone designs to third parties. Oh, it's not us. No, no, no. We're not. That's some other company. And uh, bypass U.S. sanctions and gain access to critical components. Could license designs to third parties. Trump-era sanctions have cut off Huawei from U.S. technologies. Well, the Shenzhen-based tech giant is considering licensing its designs to a unit of state-owned China Postal and Telecommunications Applications, or PTAC, which will then seek to buy parts, barred under the Trump-era blacklisting, says some of the people, asking not to be identified, discussing internal matters. The unit, known as XNOVA, is already selling Huawei-based Nova phones on its e-commerce site, and the partnership will see it offer self-branded devices based on the larger company's designs. Chinese telecom equipment maker TD Tech will also sell some phones featuring Huawei's designs under its own brand, another person said. Partnership, the partnerships are subject to change as negotiations, the, the negotiations are still ongoing. The move may be Huawei's best chance at salvaging its smartphone business after U.S. sanctions cut off its access to key chipmaker Taiwan Semiconductor. The company sold its Honor sub-brand to a consortium led by state-owned company in Shenzhen about a year ago, freeing the business from U.S. sanctions. Honor is now able to buy components from suppliers, including Qualcomm, the 
the CEO said. This, well, for the time being, by the way. Engineers at Huawei have already begun redesigning the circuits of some of its smartphones previously powered by the company's in-house chips so they can adapt to Qualcomm's processors, said one of the people. Yeah, don't get your hopes up. They're probably playing with you to make you waste your own time, and then as soon as you are ready to receive the chips, the U.S. is going to tell Qualcomm they can't sell them to you. So Huawei expects the partnerships could bring smartphone shipments to more than 30 million units next year, etc. Okay, so the next one is that the U from the New York Times, Ukraine's efforts to tackle corruption may be at odds with its aim to become a global crypto hub, as weak governance is part of Ukraine's allure as to why so much uh, crypto activity comes out of Ukraine. I guess that's a fair point. That's a really interesting about... Uh, about there's two different types of crypto-minded folks. Some want a very hands-off, fully decentralized, keep government out of our technology and our, you know, solution. So in which case, the moon would be the ideal place to do, build a crypto utopia or Antarctica. And then you have the other side who, you know, uh, wants every, you know, they believe that regulation is the best path forward. And in that case, New York might be uh, the most logical place to set up. So it's, uh, yeah, it's not a surprise that Ukraine would be very attractive for the people who want to be fully unregulated. So the article's a deep dive into that topic, really interesting topic of, uh, and some really nice photos of uh, Kiev. So the next one is a report finds that online child sexual abuse material is increasing in volume, growing more complex, and capitalizing on text blind spots. That's disturbing news, a disturbing headline. Um, although, uh, sadly, it's not surprising. Um, and I kind of begs the question like the whole war on drugs that America went through is does it turn out that there might be better ways to combat human behaviors um, is it possible to ban anything um, in, in an open society in China of course absolutely it's possible to ban things in, in an open democratic society can be very difficult. And the tech, whack what we call whack-a-mole in tech world, where every time you, you know, think you have knocked one, one mole back into the ground, you know, three more pop up, that's, that is the nature of tech. And it doesn't seem to slow down. So unless you do... Uh, identity verification for the browsers, which we could do, and any browser session would need a facial recognition, you know, um, process so that you're 
not able to get on the web without doing a facial recognition. Everyone knows exactly where you are. But then again, that's what I'm saying. That's authoritarian. That's usually in the domain of authoritarian regimes. China does exactly this, but that's probably why they might, they, you know, might have a, not the same issue. You know, that is a technical solution, but I don't know that we want to go there. So the next one is from Bloomberg it says how Togo, a country where few possess a driver's license or national ID card, built a digital platform to rapidly dis disperse relief payments to millions of people. Now, there's an interesting headline. How did they do that without uh, IDs? In two weeks, Togo d designed and launched an all digital system for delivering monthly payments to millions of people and made the U.S. program look like a dinosaur. The headline from Bloomberg. It says it was late 2020, and and though um, it says Atani Bamez was working his small plot of land, cutting weeds down to the rust-colored soil when he received a lifeline in the form of a text message in late 2020, and although he still didn't know anyone uh, that had got COVID. The pandemic had distributed his life all this, or had disrupted his life all the same. The village in Togo, where he lives with his wife and infant daughter, relied on trade and travelers from nearby Benin. When the border closed after the first recorded infections, um, the prices for food began uh, climbing. The 31-year-old typically earned money tutoring. Now reading from his handset, he learned that the Togolese government would be sending him a cash stipend for the next five months. The first payment from the program was instantly available via his mobile phone. Yeah, this is, you know, Tyler, we are quite invested in Togo also. And Togo is quite progressive in Africa. The government has done a lot of things in order to bring essential access to um, villages around the, the people around the country. So one part, of course, is um, mobile mobile phone access. Then mobile money is a big topic. Also energy access. So they, they're running quite quite some sophisticated and smart programs where they use technology for the sake of access and affordability of goods and services to their population. And that included also a very smart and very swift way to use fintech basically or mobile um, mobile money platforms to distribute aid like we've seen in other other emerging markets in the world but there you can see that the, the blessing of not having incumbent technology is actually um very very effective also when using aid money great article actually um uh, oh, and Tony Fidel's talking about this one. Tony Fidel was the creator of the iPod and, and on the team that built the iPhone. He says, this is simply a heartwarming story that fulfills the promise of good people with technology we build. In two weeks, Togo designed and launched an all-digital system for delivering monthly payments to millions. It looks like a, I just sped read the whole article. It looks like a really well-done article. Um, AMD, the, the kind of Intel's main competitor, one of their competitors in the U.S., 
reveals 50 security flaws in its EPYC processors and its Windows 10 graphics driver, Intel, their competitor, discloses 25 vulnerabilities in its products, including its CPUs. Oh, Jesus. Another day, another dozen new vulnerabilities. In this case, more like 50 plus 25. It's just 75 new security vulnerabilities at the chip level. That's all, everybody. You're, you're totally fine. Everything's safe. <laughs> oh, dear God. Uh, the next one's from Reuters. The United States, led by Texas, file an amendment, amended Google lawsuit providing more details about Project Bernanke, which allegedly gave Google's own ad buying an advantage. Okay, well, we'll keep updated on that lawsuit, but let's just get a little more context on that one. This is from Reuters. It says, a group of United States led by Texas filed the amendment complaint against Google, accusing the tech giant of using coercive tactics and breaking antitrust laws in its efforts to boost its already dominant advertising business. The updated allegations are the latest in the onslaught of regulatory scrutiny of Google over its practices. The tech company faces several lawsuits, including one by the Justice Department for monopol monopolistic practices. The amended U.S. lawsuit filed in federal court in New York late Friday accuses Google of using monopolistic and coercive tactics with advertisers in its efforts to dominate and drive out competition in online advertising. The lawsuit also highlights Google's use of secret programs dubbed Project Bernanke, in 2013 that used bidding data to give its own ad buying an, an advantage. For example, in a 2015 iteration of the program, Google allegedly dropped the second highest bids from publishers' auctions, accumulated money into a pool, and then spent that money to inflate only the bids belonging, only the bids belonging advertisers who used the company's Google ads. Ah, so it's because Google is an auction, but they also, um, if you're a publisher like Reuters, you may or may not use Google ads to fill in the ads on your website. This is incredibly common. Most websites do use Google ads. Many do not. And the idea is that this would give a benefit to the sites that were using Google ads, essentially. Um, if they're bidding in these auctions, they're going to, if you're a website, like, and you also run Google ads, then you might win in these ad auctions, giving you an advantage. So it's, you know, kind of one hand uh, scratching the other and uh, helping, giving themselves an, an, an disadvantage. Yeah. They're going to get some deep shit. And the funny thing is that a lot of these games that they're now discovering have been going on for a very long time. Like they pointed out that that was going on back in 2013 and that this is not a surprise to geeks. I mean, th these games have been going on for a long time. What's interesting is, is that the governments are all figuring this out all at the same time. They're figuring out the old games from 2013 and the games from 2015 and the games from 2017 and 2019 and 2020 all simultaneously. Oh, you've been doing all this crazy shit for the past 10 years? Yeah, 
pretty much because you had no idea what the hell we were doing. You didn't even know how to reset your password until five minutes ago. And so now you're discovering all this crazy stuff that tech's been doing for a very long time. We thought you didn't care because you just couldn't understand it. The same way you can't understand NFTs today. And the same way that you're not, you can't understand genetic engineering today. And the important technologies today, you still don't understand. And now you're finally catching up to where tech was in 2013. Okay, fine. Penalize us, you know. M meanwhile, we, we're doing alpha fold and we're, you know, going to make drugs for every conceivable disease under the planet before you even have a concept of what we're doing. We're going to colonize Mars before they're done with this shit. So um, the Wall Street Journal says WSO2, which offers low-code tools to help businesses, hospitals, and schools, and public sector organizations build apps, raises $90 million from Goldman Sachs. Apple agrees to pay its California store workers $30 million settling a 2013 lawsuit for time spent in required security bag checks, which Apple dropped the policy in 2015. Wow, that's a lot of time spent in bag checks, $30 million. So what happens is Apple team members, store workers, have to go through bag checks to make sure they're not stealing shit, and they want to be paid for the time they're going through these bag checks, which... I guess that makes sense. You're, you're kind of on the clock at that point. It's no longer your time. It's kind of their time. Um, and if you add up all of the time that everyone spent in these bag checks, it comes out to $30 million. And, uh, and that's just for California alone. The, how the U.S. are deploying drones, robots, and AI to more affordably inspect, diagnose, and repair the country's aging sewer infrastructure. From the Wall Street Journal. That's the headline. U.S. cities deploying drones, robots, and AIs to more affordably inspect, diagnose, and repair cities' aging sewer infrastructure. And more than that is how they keep it in place to get real-time data that they were never able to get previously. And how cities are starting to digitize. And I have friends who have startups that do exactly this, where they monitor water levels and the water you know the flow of water levels and all kinds of interesting things and they can do tests in the sewer system for all kinds of things like the level of cocaine in the sewers the level of covid in the sewers all kinds of stuff so they can get this citywide data now the problem the dystopian use case there's there's positive use cases of course fantastic absolutely the problem is, as soon as you get connectivity and connection into infrastructure, that shit can get hacked. Hence my endless rants each day reminding everyone to get take control of their own water and food and energy. Because those things will be hacked. If not, well, typically it's a political issue, but... Uh, Hopefully, one of the other dots in that argument, one of the other puzzle pieces is the point that it's nearly impossible to 
you know, if you, you read these cybersecurity headlines that we do each day, you've come to understand there is no securing this stuff in the short term. So, you know, it's, it's a some, somewhat logical to assume that eventually your food or water or energy will be hacked. Well, that's what we're seeing with the, the oil pipelines and the, the food distribution and all of it and government servers and the FBI today. And, you know, come on. So uh, the next one is that the latest iOS update adds a macro mode to the camera in the iPhone 13 Pro Max. Okay, big whoop. So let's do a refresh, Cheryl. And let's see if any new articles came in since we started um, an hour and 20 minutes ago. It doesn't appear to be so. That takes us to the tweets. Okay. So the first tweet is um, from Reuters that there's now panic buying of fuel in South Korea. And I'm just tweeting that one out to the Twitter account from Reuters. It says that a truck truck drivers are driving 70 kilometers to petrol stations just to get some fuel. And then when they get there, there's no fuel there either. Diesel vehicle owners are facing a shortage in South Korea. That's the problem because all of the transportation of all of the goods run on diesel trucks and there's no more diesel fuels. That's a huge problem, y'all. Your bottled water that you drink comes on these trucks. You cannot live more than three days without that water. So I hope you live in a city. If your city doesn't have drinkable water out of the faucet, and you're dependent on some kind of transported water, you really want to make sure you take control of your water first. That can really get very serious very quickly. So, uh, it's happening in South Korea, which, by the way, in many regards, is more advanced than most of America. So... Yeah, don't don't think of this as like, oh, well, that's South Korea. Like, they don't know how to handle things. No, no, no. They know how to handle things very, very well. Right? Like, this is like a, oh, a top-tier environment, you know, uh, for those who haven't traveled through Asia much. And I know many of our American friends haven't. And even Europeans generally don't go to Korea much. I mean, they might go to Japan. But Korea is, you know, as advanced as a society gets. So... The They've got they, better internet. Great. Just, that's a, a very a great way to you know sim- simplify the argument. They have far better internet than Europe or America does. So uh, don't don't think you know that you're in a better position than they, they that you wouldn't fall to a similar situation. So the next one is from Sharok that a new theory suggests that dark matter can create new dark matter from regular matter. Ellie, can you help us understand what's going on here? That sounds absolutely insane. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of Ice-9. That's all I got. It says, an international team of physicists is proposing an addition to dark matter theory. In their paper published in the journal Physical Review Letters, the group is suggesting that dark matter, which is like this big enigma in the universe, 
came from regular matter and that dark matter is able to create more dark matter from regular matter. The existence of a material described as dark matter has been proposed by physicists to explain certain behaviors observed by researchers, the way light bends as it makes its way from faraway places to telescopes on Earth, as an example. But some parts of the theory have yet to be worked out, such as how did the amount of dark matter believed to exist today come into being? The team is the team on this new effort has come up with a theory to answer that question. The theorists begin by citing prior research which suggests that some amount of dark matter was created as part of the thermal bath where primordial plasma made of regular matter begat dark matter particles, but not the amount that is believed to exist today. They suggest that at some point, dark matter particles began making more dark matter particles out of regular particles. And the new dark matter particles were also able to create new dark matter particles out of regular particles. The researchers know that under such a scenario, it would seem that ev eventually there would be nothing left in the universe but dark matter particles. The reason this hasn't happened, they suggest, is because of the rapid expansion of the universe. In the early days, everything was close together, making it easy for dark matter to come into contact with regular matter and convert it. But as time wore on, things moved farther and further away as, as part of the expansion, and that made instances of dark matter coming across regular matter rarer. This expansion slowed the con conversion of regular matter to dark matter, leaving us with the amount that is believed to exist today. And Tyler, if I can just jump in, and I'm damn sure not a physicist, but what I understand is most of our universe has consisted in the past of dark matter um, that we can't measure or see. And we have measured our current galaxy in, in talk about, you know, multiverses, and I'm not talking about the metaverse, but there was multiverses and physicists, physicists that would discuss um, if we couldn't, if, if it was expanding, we don't know what we don't know. So if dark matter is the majority of all existence, uh, where light can't be measured or reflected or bent, because we need light in order to measure, and that's a very small portion of what we can measure in a physical universe, Okay. Um, dark matter is the majority of it, and that could could continue to expand. But there's been um, papers on this about 10 years ago um, about, you know, like it goes back to the Big Bang Theory. And, and so we are looking at the Big Bang Theory as a measurement in physicists or scientists as light. Like it's a, it's a, it's a time where we can discover what we think light uh, occurred and where this was. But what what was prior to that, a prior and there's been a lot of discussions that dark matter in of itself is what makes up all of existence. And I'm not just talking about the universe as, as humans understand it, but in entirely all existence, whatever would be created by a being, whether it was God or whatever. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say God personally, but what was created and what is this measurement and then how did all of this come into being? And so is, is it a sequential domino effect? So did the Big Bang Theory start, light came, then the Big Bang Theory, and then everything else sequentially came from that. And so that's what we as humans can measure. But what was prior to that? And that's where this comes from, if, if I'm correct, that's all. It does suggest that dark matter would be a real hazard for uh, intergalactic travel. 
Correct. Because if we ever went somewhere, oh, Eli, you're right. Because if we ever start start trying to travel, we would we would have ourselves, you know, but this goes back to Star Trek, right? But we would have ourselves dealing with something we couldn't understand or process. And then what happens to our material? Or, or see. Yeah. Well, but then what happens to our material ship? Whatever it's made of, right? It's made of atoms. It's made of it's made of physical light measurements back and forth. So how would we then get there? So you're right. Eli. This, this, this kind of strikes me like matter cooties. What, what's fascinating about it to me is the, it highlights human hubris. Um, and I think it, it's, it keeps intelligent people humble that we don't understand something so truly fundamental to the universe. <laughs> we have no, it, it highlights our, our cat-like or dog-like limited knowledge of reality. Oh, and I, I agree, Tyler, and that's whenever, so you read Genesis 1, verse 1, and it reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like, it just sounds so simplistic that we as humans kind of, we read that first verse of the uh, Bible and we go, really? It just sounds too simple. To your hubris point, my point and Dave, is. And Dave, to your point, it says, and the earth was void without without light. Light didn't come in to the original Hebrew <laughs> translation. So if we get talking deep, about dark matter in Genesis, right? Yeah, exactly. If you go to the original Hebrew, Dave, it says there was no light. I mean, it, it, there was nothing, right? And there was a void. Yeah, and so, God said, "Let yeah, there yeah, be yeah, light." Yeah, yeah. He just yeah. spoke it into existence. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Carl, you were going to say. I, I was just going to say to your point of, of the fact that hubris of thought we don't know. If you go to any major city in the world and throw a rock in a random direction, you're probably going to. Um, hit a physicist that's working on one of the many, many, many hypotheses that are trying to figure this out because the math that we have works up until a certain point and then everything breaks down. And, you know, you have different things like modern theory and, and uh, adjustments to general relativity and special relativity and whole swaths of physicists yes. trying to disprove um, Einstein and, yes. and reaffirm Einstein. And, and but yeah. the point is, we don't know any of that. And it's really exciting well, to anybody listening. Just if I just finish, Tyler, to anybody who, who, who is listening, wondering what, why are we spending money on this is because, OK, this might be classes like blue sky research where it doesn't have an immediate benefit to myself or, you know, Cheryl or Tyler. But all the money put into this research has spillover. Like, oh, you you want better you want better magnets like for your for your uh, transportation, or you want better cooling systems for your for your new service, or you want uh, better lasers. Um, this spills over from this. Like the research that goes into these, that's that's where we get all this technology from. That's where all the cutting edge stuff kind of happens outside of of the corporate sort of world. This is where it happens in this kind of research. This is where we get all of those technological leaps and revolutions. I mean, this is why we're using the internet. This is why it's around because of, of scientists. So. I was going to say the, you're right that Einstein gave us some of our most brilliant insights and uh, the idea that genetically we're getting to a point where we might reincarnate him um, <laughs> to help get us <laughs> To help finish the, the the work that he was unable to finish, um, he was a party animal. I don't know if he'd have he'd have done very well if we if we brought him back now. This I, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he'll get cancelled if he comes back. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, Carl, there's nothing wrong with being a party animal. Yeah, well, let's just hope he doesn't get cancelled. Um, next series. So 
Um, what else do we have? So the next one is from Evan that solar powered harvesters of water could produce clean water for 1 billion people. Geospatial tool identifies regions where atmospheric water harvesting is viable. This is Im very important stuff right here because we're now starting to realize there's a, a new means of getting water, which is pulling it from the air. And this is happening in places. This is not science fiction. And then the question is, where can it happen? And essentially it could happen, as, you know, to oversimplify it pretty much anywhere where there's like 17% humidity. Um, but this article says that 1 billion people could access safe drinking water using devices that use solar energy to condense water from the air. That's the conclusion of a team of researchers in the U.S. led by Jackson Lord at the ex-Moonshot factory who have developed a new tool for assessing the global potential for water harvesting. Their tool could soon help researchers to design completely off-grid water solutions suitable for use in local communities in many parts of the developing world. Hey, by the way, maybe the folks in South Korea might be interested in this as well because their trucks can no longer distribute uh, drinking water. So, and this might be of interest to you, my dear listener, because here's a way to take control of your water supply that you need to live. And, you... and also to the folks in Madagascar who are in the fifth year of drought, which is threatening a famine. Expanded indeed. famine. Indeed, some of the second and third order consequences of not having water is millions of people, currently 22 million in Afghanistan and 7 million in Ethiopia, to name just two places out of many who are about to run out of their their essentials and may become climate migrant. Either either will die of famine or they will become um, climate migrant or, you know, refugees. And uh, we can, the world will not work if there's a billion people who become climate refugees. So this is incredibly serious stuff. And this is the idea of solar-powered water harvesters from the atmosphere, at atmospheric water uh, harvesters, uh, AWHs, as they're called. Let's pray yes, to we, God. We, Let's yeah, pray to God this yeah, way. Yeah, no, no, it works. We've been I know it works. Investing in, in I mean, similar scary, things. Yeah. Uh, the you know the AWGs so far were not solar powered. You needed to plug, and you needed to have more electricity. And they're coming down now with technology. This is very exciting. We see about nine, you know, ten different companies working on it in different parts of the world, with the idea to go fully off off grid. So absolutely, this is a game changer, a very important one. Of course, price is important. But not only the price itself, because in order to make it really affordable, but then also, um, you know, they have a, a, the to get the energy consumption of these machines down, the AWGs, you know, to get them uh, down is some of the components which we are seeing. So absolutely, that should be scalable in about five years. So I want to leave on that incredibly optimistic note, although as a final cherry on top, I want to end today with this a uh, photo that uh, Jeremy Taylor found in um, in Hong Kong of special COVID masks that 
you got to see the link I just pinned to the top of the room. It's it's a it's a face mask for people who ostensibly use wind instruments, you know, like oboes and saxophones. Uh, and so this mask has a little cut for you to insert your trumpet or clarinet into the mask so that you can play in the orchestra ostensibly while also wearing a mask and use your wood wind instrument. Um, J Japanese and, product. Yes, it does look I like a Japanese product. I think those who smokes like this, <laughs> that will serve but for the I, mask I, people. I think it's a clever marketing for people who want to wear masks with holes in them <laughs> and, and claim to have difficulty breathing. I'm, I'm remembering a video that went viral many months ago of a lady entering at like a 7-Eleven who had cut out a hole where her mouth is in the middle of the mask. And the cashier says, oh, did you cut a hole in the middle of your mask? She says, yeah, I had trouble breathing. And he says, oh, why didn't I think of that? So anyway, yeah. Are, are you still trying to make the point for AI taking over? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just loving the, the marketing behind this mask as, as for woodwind instruments. So, uh, Tyler, the the last story about atmospheric water harvesting, did you tweet yeah. that out? Oh, yes. Let me send that right now. I did tweet it out, didn't I? Um, I didn't. Here it comes right now. Thank you. Thanks. There it goes. Yep. And it, the reason Ellie's asking is because uh, Ellie and our, our dearly departed friend Chris uh, Jung was coming at our uh, working on uh, a water harvesting solution as well that doesn't uh, even need solar power. And it's a true, truly brilliant solution. And uh, hopefully progress will continue to get made there. So if you're interested in that, uh, send send uh, Ellie a message. And, all and, and I, I'd, I'd really like to, to you know, get get the ball rolling, as, as, as Chris would say, um, in time to be of relevance to Madagascar. I know that that's going to be a stretch, especially with everything else that I've got going on. But uh, if anybody can, can uh, send people with technical skills my way, uh, especially mechanical engineering and uh, uh, fluidics. Um, to work on that, it will be a very meaningful project. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, thank you again, everybody. And we'll catch you again in a few hours. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks, Tyler. Bye. Bye, everybody. See you guys. I don't want to See you later.